0: To another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. And on today's episode, we will be doing an entire show built around our dear Sculpty Boys patron perk with Charles, Josh, and myself discussing meta calls, what to prioritize with them, and what to consider when going into any given metagame. Before we dive into that, however, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons for all the support you give. Your support goes towards continuing the show here, as well as events like the MLC. One of the patron perks is access to our Discord server, where we brew, share memes, and discuss spoilers, among other things. (laughs) Another bonus for our patrons is access to the uncut video episodes of the podcast, which we call Uncut Gems. Uh, because I don't let dead memes die. And uh, you can submit a question to our newest show segment, Dear Sculpty Boys, which we will be doing today. So if you want to join the Sculpty Boy family, head on over to patreon.com slash themindsculptors. You can find out more information there. It's time to check in on our Apple podcast ratings. And this week we have two new ratings. The first one comes from Hollow Briscoe, who says, awesome, five stars. Love everything that you guys talk about and has helped me grow as a magic player. So please keep up the amazing content. The second review comes from the Holy moose five stars. Great CEDH podcast questions for Callahan. Do you think USC with Lincoln Riley will overtake the Ohio state university is the class of the big 10 in 2024. How long until we have one or two super conferences of 40 to 60 teams that pay their players? Well, thank you for the review. That is a big question. And the short answer is no, I don't think Lincoln Riley will take over the Ohio State University because we've been we've been great forever, baby. We're not going anywhere. Uh, No, but actually, like I think Lincoln Riley probably will make USC. Pretty powerful here. Not too long. Uh, I'm really curious to see how the like Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC thing works out. They still haven't really given a ton of information on that. So I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work. But uh, this is not a college football podcast. But If you want to talk college football with me, myself, James, Dan, there's a bunch of other people you can Join us over on Patreon. So become a patron subscriber, and we have a, a patron channel called the End Zone. So subscribe, two dollars a month. That's the lowest lowest we have, I think, for with patron access. And uh, we'll talk. I'll talk college football all day long. Trust me. But with all that being said, let's jump into my conversation with Charles and Josh.
1: It's funny because Josh and I both work for the government and one of the guys that I work up for uh, also worked in a submarine and talks much like Josh about like engineering aphorisms about being in a submarine. It's like, yeah, if you don't do this, everybody like the the, the, everyone will die. Everyone will die. There's a leak. Everybody. And guess what? You have a coffin in the water. Yeah,
2: (laughs) we call it. We call it water in the people tank. Yeah. No, thanks. Water in the people tank. Yeah. yeah, dude, that's that's fucking death. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah it, it is a really bad it's way. Terrifying. To yes, it is yes, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It's happened once in my life. And I. Oh, I was I was on watch, unable to help at all, and I could not leave my station and just had to hope that everybody else could do what they had to do. So wait, yeah. what happened? <laughs> we, we can talk about this later. Well, this
1: is.
0: We This is
1: almost like a content warning here for those who are very sensitive about death. I need to, uh, I want
0: to, this might
1: be an interesting <laughs> we thing. Can break here. Well, we this might be here. an
0: interesting thing for like, uh you know, the patron stuff,
2: right? You know? <laughs> the uncut gems. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So actually, if you guys go over to patreon.com slash Sculptors, you'll be able to hear this story that I'm about to give. And cut. Okay, so um, <laughs> I was a submarine uh, on a daily basis eight hours a day I sat in a room that was about four feet by six feet with four other humans and I was sitting in a very shitty uncomfortable chair I'd rather sit on an airplane for eight hours rather than sit in maneuvering on watch looking at a bunch of meters and gauges uh, monitoring a nuclear reactor uh, so I'm sitting there it's uh it's like 10 p.m. no wait all the way around uh, six hours after it's like four in the morning, uh, other, other end of the night Four in the morning. And I'm sitting there and there's, uh, all throughout the boat, there are, um, announcement circuits. So there's speakers everywhere also. And so when you, when you key the microphone and you turn it on, each speaker has a different sound. Like when you, when you initially like pick up the phone and has a different sound. And so If you, if you pick up a one MC, I know what that click sounds like. I hear those all throughout the day constantly. And the four MC is the emergency circuit. Like you must memorize where all of the four MC phones are because when shit goes down, you need to be able to find the closest one as fast as possible and alert everyone. And so it sounds different. Also turns out when you make an emergency service like announcement, uh, you kind of have to collect your thoughts before you just start like rambling bullshit, because if your brain is scrambled and you give incorrect information or it's just too jumbled and nobody can understand people die. We literally have training about how to give four MC announcements. So we're sitting there on watch and sometimes you're bullshitting about nothing. Sometimes it's magic, the gathering, sometimes it's cars, sometimes it's, you know, your, your partner or your friend's partner that you're on watch with or whatever. The conversations vary. At this point, no one was speaking. It was just silent, and everybody's just existing in maneuvering. And all of a sudden, we just hear like a of just like background fuzz, right? I look over to my electrical operator, and we go, "That's a four MC." And then all of a sudden, we just hear flooding, flooding in machinery one, flooding from the forward drain pump. And we're like, oh, oh, hello. <laughs> oh, by the way, the definition of flooding is to at least 230 gallons a minute of water. 230. That's so much water. This that is that's that's insane. A lot of water. <laughs> yeah, that is so much fucking water. So luckily, right, people know what to do when that happens. And so the chief of the watch took his actions. He you know, turned off the pump. He shifted water. Cause if water was going towards that direction, you know, from this tank to this tank and the leak was in the middle at a pipe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's, let's stop putting water to the hole. That'll help stop water from coming into the hole. Right. So, you know, you can, you can isolate the thing. And so no more water's coming in. Uh, but turns out for, you know, seven to 10 seconds, there was 230 gallons of water a minute coming through into the boat. Uh, also turns out electrical circuitry doesn't like water. And so when a giant, a uh, gush of water, uh, came flying into the boat. Uh, it got onto some electrical switchboards and started a fire. Mm. So not only was there water in the people tank, but now there's fire. I don't know if you've ever seen a house fire or like an actual large scale fire. Uh, it puts off a shitload of smoke, like so much scary amount of smoke. Uh, when you're, you know, I don't know a few hundred feet below the surface of the ocean and there's literally nowhere, nowhere right. for the smoke to go. Uh, you become blind Oof. in in seconds. Right. It completely fills the compartment. You cannot breathe. They're like, oh yeah, get low so you can get away from the smoke. There's smoke everywhere. It doesn't matter. There's smoke everywhere. You literally have to leave, or you will just pass out and die from smoke inhalation. Mm-hmm. And so once again, you know, luckily the I'm sitting there on watch and like, well, I hope the chief of the watch knows what he's doing. There's water coming into the boat and no other announcements have been made. Uh, so it's like flooding, flooding from machinery one. Oh shit, everybody wakes up. And, you know, goes and does whatever they need to do, whatever their immediate actions are. Um, Shortly after that, you know, uh, drain pump secured, leak is isolated, fire, fire from the 8S switchboard. We're like holy fuck like okay like uh, on to the next thing the shit is and getting so shittier it, and and the shit is getting shittier and so you know the that emergency announcement comes on online and my electrical operator sitting next to me luckily he is very experienced and knew exactly what to do and he just like takes all these actions he flips a bunch of switches and everything's fine and the fire goes away and we didn't die um and now there's all this cleanup to do right because there's water everywhere And so the lighting is grounded, so there's no lights. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in like actual factual darkness. You probably haven't. Somehow it's darker than fucking nothing. (laughs) Uh, Below the surface, 500 feet below the surface of the ocean, in a metal tube with no lights on, there's no light
1: yeah 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 Uh, well when you go even deeper than that it's like really 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 dark it's like as if you're in space right it's like they call it advanced darkness yeah it's uh uh, it's 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 really weird because it's like in space at least you have the stars it's here Mm -hmm. it's like it's the void itself
2: yeah there's just nothing Mm -hmm. and so yeah the the lighting is grounded and pumps aren't working and um, there, there are two fuses that uh, caught on fire. That's what came from the fire. Oh uh, one of the fuses was charred, like completely charred beyond recognition. Uh, we literally could not find the other one. It, it, it vaporized. It was fucking gone.
0: Wow. So,
2: um, yeah. Uh, submarines, uh, the things like that don't happen very often. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a, a very uh, niche case scenario. Fire plus, or sorry, flooding plus fire. Um right. And luckily, we train on that sort of thing like every other week so that when the worst case scenario thing happens, uh, you know, one hundred and sixty people don't die. Right. Um, But yeah. So this
0: question comes from Kino and they ask, dear Sculpty boys, when brewing a new deck, what do you keep in mind about the metagame? Obviously, as with every competitive format, the specific meta of a given shop will vary. But in the generic worldwide meta game, what concerns are at the top of your priority list? We looked at this and we were immediately like, this is like a show topic, right? Like this isn't a a segment answerable question. Like this is like a full 60 minutes. Let's talk about it. So Charles, you were about to like launch into something there. So like what's your kind of whole take on this question like immediately.
1: Okay, so I think there's a lot to unpack in the question, first of all. So I think there's two questions stated here. What do you keep in mind about the metagame? And the other one is in the generic worldwide metagame, what concerns are at the top of your priority list? And based on how this question is worded, I think the latter is actually the question that you are really kind of focusing on in Kino. And so I figured that we hone in on that because there's actually a lot to go through with just that question itself, right? The question is kind of, for one thing, it's in the generic worldwide metagame, what concerns are at the top of your priority list? I would imagine that this leads to me thinking about concerns being like okay well what are the decks that I am trying to compete against what are uh what what sort of the pacing of this format meta and what are key cards or interactions am I looking out for, right? Am I looking at something that's more very spell-slingy? Is the graveyard a a, a resource that I'm really utilizing? But even before I I, I even go to that, I think like the first thing that I actually think about when I'm thinking about that question is, what kind of deck am I playing?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right? Because that informs a lot of your decision-making.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, cause because it's like, oh yeah, I really don't want to play against those stacks decks or something like that. And then, you know, and you're saying this as you're piloting a stacks deck. Right. Right. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can't really play against rule of law. And 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 so you 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 use that as your answer of like, oh yeah, you gotta have ways to answer rule of law. But you're also playing rule of law yourself, you know? So it's not very helpful to talk about. To, to answer this question of what are your concerns of like the priority list of things to be concerned about in the meta when the deck that you're brewing is in some ways part of that meta anyway. So, so in the set of things, right, that is competitive of various archetypes, whatever you're building is likely in that set already as its own element and you need to factor that out and then consider the rest, right? And so then you can work your priority list there. So I'm I'm actually going to bring this up to to you, Josh, and Callahan. How do you guys kind of want to go about it then? Because we're not actually told what deck. It's just a new deck. Well, so so here
0: I, I will see this as somebody who has a established CEDH list on the database that is built and constructed very much in the way of Here is a list that we think will be okay if you take it to a general meta. And here's 400 cards that would also be good as meta calls. And that's obviously Lavinia. I haven't talked about Lavinia very often on here recently, but I know with Lavinia, a lot of our process has been specifically going and seeing okay so what is the dominant strategy overall right now especially when you're playing a deck like lavinia because that is very much the like anti whatever is popular at a given moment and generally it's like the anti-naz deck right you make a lot of your decisions in that of So, like, a good example is, like, cutting knowledge pool, right? We cut knowledge pool based on the information that we gathered of against the general meta knowledge pool. People can, like, find their way out of it sometimes. And Omen Machine makes you play against their top decks. And you have ways of generating card advantage that they don't. So. Basically the whole idea is knowledge pool isn't a bad card and you shouldn't not you shouldn't not play it but in the generic sense this is my 99 that I would recommend playing and knowledge pool might be really good in your meta I don't know I don't play in your meta but like going into founders club or the r slash cedh server or uh, nexus or any of these places where you can go get cedh games on discord i have the the 99 that uh we put on the database is the 99 that in our experience has been like the best
2: against the overall meta and that's kind of how i approach it yeah, the way that I kind of jump onto that is, Charles, like you mentioned, you know, uh, we'll take my Adolin list, for example. I run all of the Rule of Laws. Obviously not Arcane Laboratory, but I run all of the Rule of Laws you can run. You don't need to remove a Rule of Law from somebody else's board if you have a Rule of Law. So obviously, that's not a consideration. What is a consideration is Darkside Extortionist and Thassa's Oracle and, to a lesser extent, Spellseeker, right? Then those those are kind of Kind of very problematic. Underworld breach. And so, um. yeah. And sure, yeah, I'd love to run Spell Snare, but I'm on every single Torpor Orb effect, right? And for a while, I was only on, I think, three of them, only on the creature ones because I want to trigger Adeline But, like, you you just, you, there are certain things that, based on what your deck wants to do, then you, you just need to run every option of a given card. So, like, when it comes to your specific meta, like... Charles mentioned, you know, you have to take your archetype out of that equation. Right. Unless, you know, it's it's Dranith Magistrate. And obviously that's that's one sided. Right. But my archetype is draineth Magistrate. My, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, basically every way you could possibly find a Dranith. But so, yeah, take your archetype out of the equation for the most part. And then. The knowledge of your meta is so vastly important. Like was talked about on the mono white guys go to you right? You guys talked about knowing. You know, there's, there's a tell. Obviously, you see their commander. So, like, Kess, you you. this come on, that's pretty easy.
1: Oh yeah, they're totally not going to use their graveyard, right? No, <laughs> yeah. no, not
2: even. And so, so, so look for your for your graph Diggers Cage or your Rest in Pieces or whatever, right, to shut down that aspect. And and so just knowing what. The meta is kind of informs what you might be seeing, and so for a while, when there was just a shitload of Clark and Sakashima, it was like, "Cool, let's find you know let's let's find a rule of law, or let's find the Dranith to stop the the thing from landing in the first place, or Swords to Plowshares to kill the Clark on the on Sakashima's way down." It's interesting because, like, like in sixty card formats, right? You have
0: a sideboard. You have your main 60 and then you have the sideboard where you pull stuff in for specific matches because you're just like, ah, game one, it doesn't really work that way. Whereas commander is your entire deck is your deck and your sideboard kind of all out, all in one. So you have to be able to like have the toolbox At least when you're playing stacks, in my opinion, right? Like, if you're doing that at minimum, you kind of have to be able to, like, pivot, I guess.
1: So, I'm going to abstract this uh, back to uh, what I was saying earlier about, like, archetype. Let's just assume that we don't even know the archetype now. Right, And we're going to call it Archetype Alpha. The deck that you're building is Archetype Alpha. And what's cool is that Archetype Alpha could be a li- could be one of the established archetypes that's already in this set of competitive decks in the meta. Or it could be something new altogether. So it, it could be any one of those things. It could either be something novel that no one's ever really formulated an archetype for, or it could be something that's established, like a Stacks list, or like a Grixis Adnos list. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you have your archetype. Now you got to think about your meta, right? And as Josh kind of hinted at, there are some archetypes that actually do care about other archetypes of its kind in that meta, right? Like for rule of law decks, they don't really care if there's another rule of law per se. Like, oh, cool! Help. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For for <laughs> for Adnaz list though, right? They are actually conscientious of other people running Adnaz, right? right? And, cool. Someone else to take the Timna beats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. When you have your archetype, right, I think one of the things that you'll think about is in terms of like, you know, priority targets or concerns for your meta is like, okay, well, what is my archetype vulnerable to? What are the things that my archetype just doesn't care about, right? Imagine if, like, for example, there's a meta where, you know, there's a a Colossal Dreadmaw deck that only just plays Colossal Dreadmaw and others of its ilk, right? You're going to be like, well, my deck doesn't care about it right? My deck is a-okay, pretty, pretty fine. Like, maybe you built a Sakashima Kodama list, and you're like, rule of law, you know, whatever, right? Or maybe you're a stacks list, and you're like, those rule of law decks, I don't really need to think about, right? And so... This is something that like I would say could be kind of helpful because you don't want to overload your thinking. The meta is huge. It's pretty vast. cdh right now is kind of like in its wild west period and we got like legacy players coming in. We're trying to like hone in and and refine that list of decks. We aren't really there yet. And so when we, and so in the meantime you don't want to, like, overload on thinking about so many things because you're not going to be able to process it all, right? Try to reduce down to, like, your base fundamentals of, like, okay, if I'm playing, for example, if I'm playing Adnaz, right, or if I'm playing, like, specifically, like, Karkasakashima, rule of law is going to be an issue for me. Right. How do I deal with that? And focus it from there. Then your spells and interactions, specifically, like, with Karkasakashima, right? Your counter spells and interactions, you'd be like, okay, well, what are these working at? Then there, I think you want to focus on your color identities, right? What are my colors good for? What can I use them for, right? What are some very powerful cards that are proactive for me? And then like Dockside Extortionist, right? Dockside Extortionist needs no card to be answered for, right? It is the threat. Whereas, you know, an offer that you can't refuse is a card that people often debate about. And it's a card that 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 stands in certain contexts where you're like, this is the card that I need to play to deal with this, versus this is a card that is just completely useless against, I don't know, mono green elf ball, you know? So work in that order is 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 my suggestion.
2: So with with this, you know, theoretical archetype alpha, I kind of I start with, you know, okay, what what is my win con? And what are methods in my meta right now that prevent me from winning counter spells, torpor orbs, rule of laws, etc. cetera. Okay. Um, how do I stop those? Okay. Counter spells, a braid, whatever. Right. So then tech those into your list. Make sure you can win the game. That's I feel like that's pretty, pretty important when when grading a CDH deck is fu- like, what is your win con and. Obviously, how do you Can win? you win right. the game? Um, yeah, yeah. Can you win? The, yeah, win the game and then um, prevent others from stopping you from winning. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with whatever leftover slots you have, maybe this archetype is a stack stack. So most of the slots fit in this last category rather than the former category. But, OK, what do I know about my meta and what slots do I have left over that can prevent others from winning? whether that's counterspells or rule of law or torpor or right. Force of negation is not a great counterspell in maybe Rog Silas, right? Because Rog Silas doesn't give a shit about casting of uh, force of negation on your turn. It wants to win as soon as possible. So force of will is the counterspell we're going for there because I want to protect my stuff. I don't give a shit about stopping you. It's interesting you brought that up because all my
0: like rector builds plays packed over fierce or force uh specifically because of that reason where you want to be protecting your win on your turn you aren't you're trying to use your pieces as sparingly as possible you know what i mean and,
2: and so just, the card disadvantage there is just far too detrimental right. no that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. and so that's that's kind of been my my takeaways with that right with with this theoretical archetype alpha
1: I think uh, you bring up a really good point here. Uh, one of the things that you can also think about is concessions. I'm not talking about like conceding the game, but things <laughs> that you know that your deck isn't going to work very well, and deciding whether or not, mm-hmm. am I going to compromise my ability to win the game by putting in cards that don't actually synergize with my deck, just so that I can deal with stuff in this meta, or am I just going to take the L for it, right?
2: Yeah, and, I hope that that thing never appears.
1: Yeah. And, and this is now a, uh, almost like a self-reflection on you as the deck builder and pilot. Like what am I trying to accomplish with this deck in this generic worldwide meta, right? That you know, you're, 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 you're talking about because am I trying to win at like a tournament that's a blind meta where I don't know what's there, so therefore I should just maximize my, my tournament wins right or or my round wins so i get the uh the most easy efficient wins uh and within the tournament time length we we talked about this a lot i know a lot of other uh content creators have also talked about this that tournament time really sucks yeah (laughs) and and you want something that can either you need to play fast or you need a deck that can play fast right and you need to be cognizant of who of what your opponents are going to be running right in that situation right even though it's a blind meta the context of what that situation is it's a tournament is going to be different whereas it could be like i don't know like the mlc where the meta itself is literally like hey here's the whole entire list of decks (laughs) here's what your opponents are playing both of them are technically generic both the mlc list is curated with you know of large diversity of decks and also the blind meta of a tournament is as generic as it can be sometimes. Right. It, it might also have regional bias. Uh, we don't really have data on that yet. But, I mean, I know... I, I talked with Mikey personally about this and Mr. Dr. Professor Michael Levine uh, as well about like the fact that uh, we have suspicion that the Punt City tournament that's coming up is going to be very different from marchesa i don't think like you know someone piloting like a Heliadless list without soul ring would do very well nor someone playing magda either mm-hmm. uh and uh the pacing will be faster tier one con is coming up right and the whole european meta is very different there than the north american meta cicada from cdh brews or, or who brewed this uh you know, talks about the fact that like you know the 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 Latin America meta is also very different here, and so even when you go into a blind meta, like knowing the context for how that blind meta is set up, still gives you clues as to right. like you know what you're getting into and sort of how mm-hmm. fast the game is going, uh, or how slow it is.
2: To touch on Charles' concessions point, um, there's a. I'll, I'll just use an example. I'll use my Aruth list for an example. Um, Dranith Magistrate turns off the deck. Whether Ruth is in the command zone, I, I'd rather Aruth be in the command zone when a Dranith Magistrate lands. So uh, that is not a concession I make. Uh, we must we must deal with Dranith Magistrate. I'm on fucking mouth of Ronam. Yeah. All right. Like you have to deal with Dranith Magistrate in that list, as Charles found uh, and knew because he helped round out the deck. Um, Chalice of the void is pretty difficult for this list to deal with because I'm not on Mog salvage and I'm not on a braid. So having an having artifact destruction is not something I'm privy to. Um, I've got plenty of bounce spells that hit nonland land permanence, but there there are just certain things that you can't you can't tech in your own tech for everything. Right. And so we must deal with Dranith. We might be able to I, I've won through a fucking lodestone golem. Like, sometimes you don't need to deal with the artifact. Sometimes you do. And Chalice of the Void, that game uh, against Charles in Philadelphia, uh, was definitely one that, uh, that that needed to be dealt with. And I lost that game because I couldn't. And like Charles said, sometimes you just take the L.
1: You know, these are things that I think, like, people don't really... Um take into consideration about like the quality of data that they're using and informing their deck. And when you go into evaluating the meta and things like that, you need to be able to share that with people who are helping you build this deck, right? And the people who are helping you build this deck need to be able to understand that as well. I feel like sometimes when, when brewers are giving advice, they're only giving advice from their own perspective and their own experience. And similar to like how your question is being asked your keynote you know, where there's the local meta. Right? Versus a generic worldwide meta, how am I? How useful is this advice if I'm taking from someone who plays in Adnos meta when the meta that I'm playing in is a stacks meta? Right. You know. Welcome to my server. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, uh, if you're and if you're asking about the question of a generic worldwide meta, how useful is anyone's advice? You know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like you 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 almost kind of have to go off on on. You have to be very careful then because you don't want to have these bad biases there's like that classic example of the military back they they would determine how 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 good their planes were by checking like the bullet holes on the planes that returned back from combat and the fallacy here was that they never factored in the planes that were shot down because they because they <laughs> never returned
2: right they put armor on the incorrect portions of the plane because their planes that, that that's like losing to a certain archetype over and over again but not tracking your losses yep. and then saying wow i almost lost to dranith magistrate i need to put 10 more lightning bolt effects in my deck yeah <laughs> that's stupid you you didn't lose to the dranith it was fine why did you you just you made your deck worse you made your plane heavier and less efficient because you were looking at the wrong data
0: that about wraps things up for us here this week thank you for tuning in for this week's episode if you liked this episode or any of our other episodes please make sure to rate this show on whatever podcast platform you are on and if you are listening on youtube go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave a comment down below telling us what your favorite part of today's show was I'd also like to thank our top tier patrons justim adam hamden david snavely dianichi's Grady Goodenough, Jacob Terran, Jason Bialik, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. If you too would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Mind Sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors. I'm Callahan and we'll see you next time.